Wow, I tell you, that was a little bit scary for me, watching all of your lights. In fact, I don't know if you noticed, I was standing here center stage and all your lights went up the first time. I'm like, I got to leave. <laughs> so just starting off with fear. And if you came in the middle of that video towards the end of that video, I'm sorry because you're like, what type of church is this? Right? And I don't know, host, if you're in the back, if you could chase down whoever just left. I'm, I'm just kidding. I didn't see anyone leave, but that, just even that video itself is a little bit scary, right? We like to start off messages, especially on a Sunday morning, right? A little bit light and a, a little bit, a, you probably noticed a lot of our videos are, are sometimes pretty funny. These teaser videos that kind of get the conversation starting. Well, I, I tell you that one. It went from light and funny, especially The Bachelor. If you love The Bachelor, I'm sorry, but there were a lot of lights that went up in this room when that one came up, and Nickelback, and a lot of funny things in there. But I tell you, that video went from light and funny to serious really fast, right? In fact, a few moments, even for me, side stage, just, just watching a few moments when things like losing a loved one, I think every light went up in the room, just humbling. It's also encouraging that you realize that this life, we have so many fears that we all deal with. But today, this message in this week two of Scared to Death series is not really about alleviating our fears or getting rid of our fears, but it's really about rising above it. And why is it not about getting rid of our fears? Can you help me answer that? It's impossible. It's hard, right? It's nearly impossible. There are just natural things that we fear that are just so normal. And in fact, I'm, I'm really grateful for some of those fears, right? The reason I'm grateful for some of those fears is because sometimes this emotion that we feel serves us very well. So today we're going to talk about not about getting rid of our fears, not about alleviating them, but really rising above it because we all face fears. Some of you could see, you know, when we're watching that video, we're kind of interacting and, and kind of, you know, um, agreeing with people that are sitting on the same row as that we're sitting or people in front of us or behind us. We're connecting saying, you know what, we're not alone. I'm dealing with some things that are hard. But sometimes fears aren't a bad thing. Sometimes fears are a very good thing. Fear is what allows people to understand, you know what, I better not jump into, go into that room because I believe what's happening in there is not a good thing. Fear teaches a child that, you know what, I believe that's a hot surface. I better pull my hand back, right? There's a fire and so I'm afraid that I'm going to get burned. So what do I do? I back up. Fears really serve us well. And sometimes they're very intentional, they're very logical, they're very reasonable, and sometimes they really help us to stay safe. And so fear can be a very good thing. You have fears in your life that are very reasonable and fears in your life that are very unreasonable. I remember um, shortly after I graduated from high school, me and some friends went to a, an Atlanta Braves game. They were playing the Minnesota Twins. And I left the Atlanta Braves game and took the wrong turn in downtown Atlanta. And I took um, a, a turn down a street and I thought, I don't belong on this street. And literally people from their, from their street, from their porches approached my car and surrounded my car. Completely surrounded. So me and a friend from high school, we're just sitting there going, what is going on? What do they do? They grab the car, they start rocking it. They start pushing our car. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? You could imagine, I have a very healthy fear right now for my life. And I, and, and I rolled on the window. I said, hey, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I, what do I say? He said, it's not funny. I just can't believe this happened to me. That's why I'm laughing. You're not laughing. I'm laughing. You're like, why are you laughing? Because I can't believe this happened to me. I'm like, my car's rocking. I rolled on my window. I said, listen, I'm sorry. Didn't mean to turn down the street. They said, get out of my hood. I said, well, you get off of my hood. I'll get out of your hood. No, I didn't say that. I was like, I'm sorry. I'm not here to, to, to any deal. I, I don't work for anybody. I'm just leaving a letter Braves game. He said, get out of here. 
my heart was beating out of my chest, right? Because I knew in that very moment, my life was not safe. I had turned down a street where there were a lot of dealings, and you were the one of two people on that street. One, you're going to make a deal with them, because one guy was asking about who I was coming for. And I'm, saying, I'm not coming for anybody. I'm just, I just watched the Atlanta Braves game. Listen, I just want to leave. This is in the 1990s when the Atlanta Braves actually were a baseball team. They won a lot of division championships. I might be a Braves fan a little bit back in my heart, right? And so I'm just leaving a Braves game. Or the second type of person that turns down that street is, is looking to um, arrest, right? They're looking to control. They're looking to, and so I was one of those two people. And, I, and in their minds, I said, no, 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 no. I just want to leave. They backed up from the car, and they said, leave. So I turned, you know, this is like a, a street that was like seven blocks long, very short street, and so I left. Fear serves us well and trains us and teaches us to stay away from the things that can hurt us. Not just the things that can hurt us, but the people that can hurt us. Sometimes you're afraid of, of, of a person that you believe can bring you harm or that can discourage you. Fear can really serve us well. But there's so many fears that are crippling as well. So many of us lost sleep, even last night, because you're fearful, right, about something. And I, actually, I don't know about you, before the days of iPhone, I was fearful that I was going to oversleep on these nights. Isn't daylight saving times like the best of times and the worst of times? Anybody? You know, one time of year, you look at your clock and you go, it's 8.30. Oh, it's 9.30. Ah, and you just get mad about it, right? You're looking forward to the longer days, but you're not excited about losing an hour of sleep. Congratulations, you came to church here on time. When you're leaving at 11.30, if you see people um, that are coming, just kind of wave and say, hi, glad you're here, right? They may be an hour late, you know? So there's so many things that we're fearful of that are reasonable, but there's so many things that are just so unreasonable too. But to start us off on a baseline, I want to share with you a definition of fear that I think will be helpful as we get going in today's message. Check out this definition of fear. I think it's great. Fear is an emotion caused by a belief of a looming potential loss. Now look at those three elements. We've underlined it. Think about this. Fear is an emotion, right? It's not something that's tangible. It's just something that's on the inside. It's not something, even because it's an emotion, that you can even reason with sometimes. So it's just an emotion. But look at this. It's caused by a belief. It's something inside of your mind that you believe could happen. But look at the last part of the definition. By a what? Looming, potential, loss. Now, the worst part of this definition is the end, right? It's looming. What does that say about it? It's in the future, like right? it, it might not happen. What's potential? It might not happen. But the lost part is, what, is why we're afraid. There's something in our lives, there's something in our circumstances that causes us to believe that we're about to lose something. So fear is always, think about this with me, it's always based in the future. It's always something that might happen or could happen. What's so hard about fear is this next line I want to share with you. And then just, this has encouraged me as I've thought about this week and the, the incredible power of fear in our lives, is that fear often plays a game. And this will be on the screen as well. Fear often plays a game inside of us that we will never win. Right? 
I know most of the time, that's why I said often, right? It's not, all, it's not completely all the time, but fear plays this game inside of our heart and fear plays this game inside of our head that we just can't seem to win. Some people just can't shake a fear, right? You just can't get over it. It's always there. Or it's always, to use the word we just used a few moments ago, it's always looming, right? It's this emotion inside of us that no matter how much you think about it, no matter how much some of you say you might pray about it, no matter how much counsel you seek or a counselor or someone that you're seeing to help you, it just always seems to be inside, right? It's this dangerous element that's on the inside, this emotion that rises up that we can never seem to win against. We can never seem to win. And so today, I'm so excited to share with you a couple of things I really do believe that cannot help us get rid of them completely, but can help us to rise above them. You know, there are things that you will be afraid of, right? And you know things because of the reality. A humbling one is when I, standing over here watching almost every light in the room, didn't have time to count, of course, losing a loved one, right? Why? Because it's the reality. People will pass away. Like that's like batting a thousand on that, right? Everyone that lives has a day that they will die. It's a legit, reasonable fear. So before we jump into something I believe is very helpful, let me talk about reasonable versus unreasonable because I mentioned it a few times. There are some reasonable fears. And what are some of those reasonable fears? I just mentioned one of them, a cause of death. There are some other ones that are not as potential or that you could say that they're potential because they might not happen. Some of you are afraid of elements that are very hurtful in your life like divorce. Why? Because you would say your marriage is struggling and you're afraid that it will not be what it used to be, right? And those are reasonable. Why? Because marriages struggle. But there are so many that are unreasonable. And the unreasonable ones, you could say, aren't completely unreasonable. Some of you say, I don't want to swim in the ocean because of sharks. You know the chance of you getting bit by a shark is so small? But it's also reasonable. A few years ago, we vacationed um, in North Carolina off the coast, and we're, we're really excited. I am the organizer in my family, in the extended family. We booked a house um, just in, in Avon, North Carolina, um, uh, in the, uh, you know, renting a nice beach house and organized everything, told everyone, hey, here's where we're going to be staying. Here's when we can check in. Here's when we can check out. Here's the budget. Here's how much you owe for this and organized everything. About a week before, I don't know if you remember, about three years ago, there was a series of shark attacks along from Florida up through the coast of like Southern Virginia. Just almost every single week for about nine weeks, there were, there were people being bitten. Now that's very reasonable. It's also very reasonable that I never told my family about this, right? I never forwarded <laughs> these along and my mother-in-law never brought it up. You know, and so I was thankful for that. That's a very small likelihood that you will get, you know, bitten by a shark. But hey, if it's at nighttime, remember that one, swimming at night? I mean, come on. Anybody in here like to swim at night? You might need a counselor, right? Because something about stepping into a pond or even a creek, like, I mean, for goodness sake, there's like trout. What are they going to do, right? And you, but somehow it's at nighttime, you get into water and these fears, some, sometimes they're very unreasonable. My six-year-old, when he was four, Levi, came downstairs. And of course, this is a common occurrence. Your parents will relate and connect, right? He comes downstairs and says, there's a boogeyman under my bed. And, you know, this is terrible parenting. I just have to start off by saying this. Terrible parenting. So write this down on the list of things that you should never do. And so I just start try to reason with him. Sometimes reasoning works, right, parents? Sometimes you're like, yeah, I won that one. And the next time you're like, why don't you get it? You're right? I remember it saying, Levi, listen. Have you seen him yet? And he looks at me like, no. Like, he's real? I'm like, you're telling me he's real? Have you seen him yet? No. And you know why? Because he's not there, 
right? I said, but here's the deal. If, if he is there, guess where he has to come in first? And he, I remember him turning slowly at the front door right there. I said, yeah. He's not in your room. Let's go look. We went and looked, and we went downstairs, and I said, if there's a boogeyman, I, I'll see him first. And guess what I'll do? What? I said, <laughs> He's like, good night. You know, one of those moments you're like, yeah, see, I'll take care of the boogeyman. Just go to sleep, right? But it doesn't take away the fear sometimes because you're a child. You're in the dark and you don't understand. And there's always a potential that someone or something could harm you, right? Sometimes you can reason. Sometimes you can't. I can tell plenty of stories on ways that I have lost those reason battles with my children and even with myself, right? I have something I think is going to help us today. This is by um, Carl Albrecht. And it's an incredible foundation for our conversation today. So I'm going to write this down for you, see if I can make sure I um, write this big enough so you can see it. I'll repeat them as well. But this is called, what I will call, he calls it something a little bit different, a fear archy. And I think that you will relate in many ways to each of these types of fears. The first fear, as I write it, is extinction. Anybody know what that means, right? We talked about it earlier. It means one day you are going to, help me out, be confident about that. <laughs> Will you? I leave a blank. You fill it in. It's called interaction. One day you will. Yeah, thank you. Some of you still did not oblige. That's okay. Mute. Okay, this is not a fun one. In fact, and a message that was inspired by this one, when, um, sometimes people leave this one off, right? This says mutilation. That's terrible. I'll move for you folks over here. I'm a lefty. I stand on this side. I'll move in just a few moments, right? Mutilation. But look at this one. I will talk through these in just a moment. Let me write these down so everyone can see. and Maybe even write these down yourself. And we'll talk through what they are. First one's pretty simple, right? This is, there's the reality that one day we will die. And so people have fears around not existing anymore. You have fears about other people not existing anymore. We don't say extinction, we just say die. But this is the fear of a loss of life that is real. It's very reasonable because it's going to happen. Look at this one, mutilation. Now this one's like, this one sounds really bad. But this is true of all of us, right? Mutilation, this is a fear of something harming you, a fear of losing something. Now, the shark example is a really easy example because we say, well, I'm fearful if there's a shark in the water that they're going to bite my leg. They're going to bite my hand, right? But this happens with spiders. Any spider haters in the room? Anybody? Yeah, a few lights just went up, right? And Tracy's very confident about this. She's like, me! That, that is, get those spiders away, right? And so this is a real one that we don't want to be hurt. A child understands this. This is the fire moment. I, hey, I'm afraid this thing's going to hurt me, and I don't want to be hurt, so I pull back. Look at autonomy. Autonomy is the fear of a loss of control. This one's really difficult. And in fact, there's a lot of fears today that we can't dive into. Autonomy is one that can, all of these can ruin lives, okay? But autonomies are really dangerous because these extreme forms of autonomy, and I think all of us are guilty of each of these levels, right? Or we all, not guilty necessarily, but we all experience these fears. Autonomy is one that we have a loss of control. You really see this played out in adults that are aging, right? As they lose control of their lives. But sometimes the very practical example is someone that has a fear of riding in a car with somebody else, right? Because 
They, don't, they would rather be in control. There's a lot of examples of this, but this is the fact that we want to be autonomous. We want to be in control. And the moment we're not in control, we're fearful that something could happen to us because of someone else. Separation. Separation anxiety um, is something that we could easily talk about for a while, right? This isn't very normal in a kid. Whenever mom leaves the house and Rachel leaves at night and, and, the, and the boys, they don't do this as much anymore, but I remember they would just cry like she was never going to come back, right? This is a very real feeling that most children experience at different varying levels of being afraid of separation. This happens in a marriage. It happens to me, and sometimes, you know, if I ever call Rachel, she doesn't answer, Right? She was supposed to be home at 7, it's 8.30. My goodness, what do we do before the days of, of cell phones and tracking? I might track my wife, right? Instead of calling her or texting her, what time are you going to be home? I just say, where is she? And I'll be like, how's Target? <laughs> She's like, if you weren't my husband. <laughs> you know? I'm so, this is, the, this is a, a very real fear that we experience with people that we love. We're fearful to be afraid. It happens in children, it happens in adults alike. And then ego. This is the personal fear that we have today. I am experiencing ego fear, right? Someone that will communicate in front of an audience, at the very end of that message, what do they ask themselves? Anybody? How did I do? Did did I do a good job, right? Today, if none of you, by the way, please don't say this to me when you leave, right? If none of you said, hey, good job today, I would wonder, I wonder how that was. On the way home, Rachel, how do you think it went, right? This is something we experience every single day with our jobs. What a teacher or communicator today, a teacher that's teaching a lesson, what I experience. This is what you experience in your jobs. This is what you experience at home. Sometimes it's your role as a husband, your role as a wife, your role as an employee. This is a personal fear that we have of our our own ego, right? We want to make sure that we do a a good job. Again, some of these elements can be very healthy. Some can be very unhealthy. But all of us today can put ourselves into one of these levels of fears, and even multiple levels of fears. So how do we deal with these things? The truth is what I said about earlier is so real today that it is nearly impossible to alleviate all the fears in your life, but it is not impossible to rise above it. While it's nearly impossible to escape these emotions that you don't plan on, you don't want, in fact, you have been wanting to get rid of them for a long time. While it's impossible to alleviate those emotions from entering your heart and entering your mind, it is not impossible to rise above it. And when I say rise above it, I mean that it does not conquer you, rather you conquer it. The Bible has some incredible things to say about fear. And this verse today that I want to introduce to you is coming from a man who understood fear. And the the two passages of Scripture I'm going to read today, one's in 1 John and the other one is in the book of Romans. Both of these authors that I'm reading to you today about experience incredible fear in first century Christianity. Now, we can read the news, and if you look long enough, it's not the headline all the time, as you could imagine, but Christians are experiencing around the world a lot of struggle and a lot of persecution in countries that are not kind to Christianity. We are in a country that still allows religious freedom, and so we're very grateful to be here with uh, no fear of someone coming in and saying that we cannot worship, we cannot believe that, right? But there are areas around the world today where if you're found with a Bible, you can be jailed. If you claim to be a follower of Christ, you may be persecuted, right? First century Christianity was experiencing this with someone that was very similar, different, but very similar to a man like Hitler in our most recent history. Nero, who was the leader 
and the emperor of Rome was um, very much an enemy of Christianity. And John was experiencing incredible strife, incredible persecution, and incredible physical pain like um, the Apostle Paul was. And so the context, first century Christianity, is the verse that I'm going to read to this to you today. When he's writing to a group of people that believed in God, And he's writing to some people that were not yet believers of God. They didn't know Jesus, and they didn't believe that Jesus was God. They didn't believe that he was the Messiah. So 1 John, this will be on the screen. 1 John 4.18 says this, and we're going to keep this on the screen for, for a little while when we talk about it. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Now look at just that first part. There is no fear in love. <laughs> if you read this, you go, wait, 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 wait. What does fear have to do with love? And in fact, if we could spin this for just a moment and uh, be antagonistic towards this, this principle or this truth that we see in the Bible, we would say, wait, 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 wait. I fear because I love, right? I care about my loved ones. I don't want them to die. I care about my spouse. I want them to drive home safely. I care about my children. I want them to not swim at night right off the coast of North Carolina. Like I care about what does fear have to do with love? And what he says is this, there is no fear in love. And so while the principle is, is that where love exists, fear cannot. Look at the next part. But perfect love drives it out. This is sort of the answer to the principle. Perfect love drives it out because fear has to do with punishment. It's an incredible, profound, simple, but yet difficult to understand statement. But here's the reality. Think about this emotion. When you are absolutely overcome with love in a certain emotion, right? In a certain moment, you're absolutely overcome with love. That moment when, let's say you with a loved one, you give them a hug, you're communicating with them, you love them, maybe it's your spouse, you have a relationship with them, you love, you're not thinking about anything that's fearful. Do you understand? But in the same moment, when I'm thinking about how scared I am, what am I not thinking about? I'm not thinking about how much I love Rachel. When she comes home, she doesn't do this. That's just an example, okay? Yeah. When she comes home two and a half hours after when she said she was going to be home, I'm not thinking, oh, I, I love you, honey. Right? That text doesn't say, I love you, and a little kiss emoji, right? No, that text says, where are you? Right? That these emotions often push back against one another. And so what he says, is not, he's not teaching that, that when you love someone, you won't have any fears. No, it's when you are in love, inside of love, that emotion is what's overflowing inside your heart, inside your mind, that there's no space for being, a, for being afraid. There's no space for fear. What he says is it drives it out, Right? Wouldn't that be nice to say, all right, well, let me list my fears and let me think about how much I love. What do we do with this? How do we experience the fact that perfect love drives it out? And I love what he says. Fear has to do with punishment. So what he's referencing here is the healthy fear. When I was in high school, um, I turned down a road, Washington Street. Not that you need to know that. It's just very vivid because of what I'm about to tell you. I turned down a street and just hit the gas. I had a 1967 Chevelle Malibu. Me and my dad helped restore you know, this motor, and I liked it. And what do you think I like to do in that car? Anybody? Anybody? Speed. Did somebody say speed? How could you ever guess that? So I pressed the gas, and I went, and I was going about 75 and a 35. Now, that is the definition of 
stupid, right? I mean, it's just like, what are you doing? And I just wanted to go fast. But in, in juniors in high school, you just don't think, right? And so I, I, sure enough, a cop, lights went on. What do you think is happening inside of me? I'm scared. And I should be. Like when there's fear, there's often a healthy side of fear that I knew when the cop looked at me, because my mom reminded me of this because I did have a heavy foot, so to speak. Not so to speak, I had a heavy foot. I drove very fast. I remember she saying, remember, if you get 25 miles an hour or over in the state of South Carolina where I grew up, that's considered reckless driving. And it's up to the discretion of the cop whether they give you a ticket, that's six points, or they take you to jail. He comes up to the window and he says, get out of the car, son. I'm like, oh, snap, I'm going to jail. He said, put your hands on the car. I'm like, oh. Well, he searches me. My heart is like outside. My heart is like in North Carolina. I mean, I'm just like, oh my gosh. Fear has to do with punishment. I should be afraid. He said, you know, I can take you to jail. I said, yes, sir, please don't. <laughs> and he gave me a six-point license, and I went to court. You know, the, the, the judge said, I like those shoes, son. He was very gracious. He actually took my license and put it in his personal wallet. He said, I'll call you in about 90 days. So that was not the point of the story. I just wanted to finish the story, right? And so he took my license away. For, so for 90 days, I got rides to school. My, I was like, hey, can I get a ride to school, mom and dad? They were like, nope, call your friends, pay them gas money. So it was a tough lesson, right? But I was so afraid to go to jail. And when I got behind the wheel of a car four months later, I was so afraid to speed. I'd like to tell you that that was the last speeding ticket I got, but it just wasn't. <laughs> Slow down, will you? Just slow down. That's a free slow down, right? What did you learn today in church? Slow down, right? <laughs> Just slow down. But, but fear has to do with punishment. Fear doesn't serve you well. Remember we said earlier, fear is crippling. Fear, is remember, plays a game that you can't win. And so it doesn't serve you well the majority of the time. So how do we alleviate it? How do we get rid of it? And look at the end of this again. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. If you fear, if you're conquered by fear, you don't have space and you don't have room for love. Now, here's what I want to tell you before we transition to the next one. The love that he is talking about is the love of God. He is not just talking about the love that you experience between someone else. He's talking about a God who loves you. When you read the letter of 1 John, what I'm reading this from in chapter 4, he talks about the love of God and how the love of God could, could, could take over, could come in and push out the fear. Why? Because they had Christians that were being persecuted. And he, he, he was writing to them to encourage them to keep their eyes, not on their persecution, not on their pain, not on their suffering, but to keep their eyes on a God who loves them. And when your eyes are on a God who loves you, there is no room for the fear. The next passage I want to tell you about is in Romans chapter 8. This will also be on the screen. Romans chapter 8, we'll read a few verses together. But again, before I read this, um, remind you a little bit of the context. Again, Paul, similar to John, Paul died a very tough death. As a follower of Christ, this man was not always a believer in Christ. In fact, he was an enemy of Christians early on. He was an enemy because he didn't understand. He was one of the ones persecuting the Christians. And he has a conversion where he has an experience with God. He gives, his, he gives his heart to God. And God totally transforms him and changes him. And he gives him a mission. And this mission is to tell the entire world about a God who loves them. Meanwhile, he's not experiencing the love of God. Right? He's not, I'm sorry, he's not experiencing the love of his friends. He's not experiencing the love of this world. He's experiencing persecution and pain. And he writes to Christians that are going through a tough time. And this is what he says. And read this along as I read it to you. Look. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, everybody say no. 
Now, let me start over. I didn't prepare you for that. I want to interact. Here we go. Who shall separate us from this love? Remember, that's the question. Hey, there's a love. Nothing can separate us from this love. Shall trouble? Everybody say no. no. Shall hardship? Everybody say no. no. Or persecution? Everybody say no. Or famine? Everybody say no. no. Or nakedness? Everybody say what? <laughs> He's like, wait, wait, wait. What are we going nakedness? Now, this is the type of persecution that they were enduring. That people not only just wanted their lives and their belongings, but they took the clothes off of their back. Or danger or sword, as it is written, Paul says, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Have you ever felt when you were talking to someone that they lacked a little bit of credibility? Maybe they, someone that sounded like they tried to know what you're going through, but you know they totally don't know what you're going through. Do you know what I'm saying? You know how frustrating that is? Right? When you're talking about something you've experienced, oh yeah, and someone takes over, oh yeah, me, yeah, me too. You're like, no, you don't have a clue. Paul had credibility to say these words because he experienced incredible hardship. You see this, nakedness, hardship, persecution, famine, danger, sword, for it is written, we're facing, for your sake, we're facing death all day long. There's an enemy that Paul had. There's an enemy that Christians had. He was experiencing incredible hardship. Some of you are going through things that no one else in the room understands right? But this is coming from a man who understands incredible hardship. And you know what he says? Nothing, no thing, no one, no person can separate God's love from you. God loves each and every single one of us in this room. And he showed that in a man named Jesus. And he references Jesus here at the end. And Jesus died on the cross, really just I would say roughly about 30 years before these words were written, maybe a little bit fewer than 30. Just a few years before these words were written, Jesus died on the cross. And in that message of dying on the cross, he offered the forgiveness of sins. And him offering the forgiveness of sin for all of us, and those are the things that we do in our life that separate us from a, from a God who loves us. He offered the forgiveness of those sins. Anyone who would believe in him, anyone who would believe in him and place their faith in him, he would offer the forgiveness of sin. But what Jesus did in dying on the cross was not just stop there. A few days later, Jesus rose again from the grave. And by Jesus rising again from the grave, and so many accounts of this throughout history, including in what we see in the scripture, when Jesus rising again from the grave, he defeated death. And he said, he promised that there's no thing that you need to be scared of. There's no person that you need to be fearful of. Why? Because his love offered to you and offered to me can absolutely drive it out. Do you know why? And just a few things that we could say about this. Now, what is the, what would, what would, what's the response here when you read about what we just read about? That Jesus loves you, that Jesus Christ died, Jesus Christ offered the forgiveness. Jesus says, what does he say about these things? Because you know what? You can believe that Jesus is who he said he is, and that Jesus died, and that Jesus rose again from the grave. You can even place your faith in him, and you can say, you know, I don't want to follow Jesus with my life, but these fears don't lead. They don't go anywhere. If you say, hey, Jason, you're a, you're a Christian, you're a pastor. 
tell me about your fears. I'm like, you don't want to hear them. <laughs> you know, I got plenty of fears. I got plenty of things I'm afraid of. But here's the truth. What about extinction? You know what? You know what he says? I conquered death. Jesus conquered death. And what's incredible about Jesus conquering death is that he offered that same thing to you and I. That he offered eternal life to you and I. That if we would believe that who Jesus said he is, and then if we would confess that we're a sinner and ask Christ to forgive us and place our faith in him, that we too could have that promise of eternal life. What about mutilation? What does God say about that? Don't swim with sharks. All right? I just got to go on to the next thing because Jesus ain't going to protect you from getting the spider bite. I'm sorry. You spider bites, right? Autonomy. You like that? You like nothing more spiritual there? No? There's, no, there's not. Your bodies are aging and they're hurting, right? You're just gonna get... What about autonomy? Right? When you think about control, think about this promise. I am in control. We believe, right? What about separation? I am with you. I'll repeat these in just a moment. Ego, I love you the way you are. Can we put the definition of fear back on the screen again? I want to show you one more thing as we look at the definition of fear. If you remember the definition of fear, the definition of fear is a fear is an emotion caused by a what? A belief. Now listen, you can believe that you're going to die, and it's true. You're going to. You can believe that your body can get hurt, and it can get hurt, right? You can believe that you, you, you fear a lack of control because you're relinquishing it. That's normal, right? That's going to happen. Separation. We're fearful that someone might not return. And I hate to say this, but it's true. They might not return. It happens. These stories happen all the time. You read about them. They happen in your family. You're like, oh, I don't want that to happen to me. The reality is it could. And ego, I don't care how much I pray. I don't, it doesn't matter how much I prayed this morning. I'm still going to walk off this stage and go, did I do a good job? Well, yeah, that's just normal. But what about, what about what God says about all of this? Now, it's the belief. This is why I asked for the uh, definition of fear to be put back up there. It's caused by a belief. What if you really believed what God said? You don't have to be afraid of death. You know why? Because the Bible says that anyone who is in Christ and believes in him will spend eternity with him, right? You still have to be afraid of mutilation. No spiritual thought there, okay? Sorry, you just do. Don't walk in fires. You're like, I read a Bible story one time, they walked over fire. Well, go pray about it and go try it. Let me know how it goes for you, right? What about this? Do you believe? If you have a belief that God is really in control, then you can relinquish that fear. Then that belief that God is in control can push out this fear. What if you believe that God is always with you? And this is what this one says, I am with you. What if you really believed that God is with you? Then you'll never be alone. Remember all the lights went up? I'm al- I don't want to be alone. And of course you don't want to be alone. I don't either. But what if you believed what about the last one? Ego, right? I love you the way you are. Do you know I don't have to perform for God to love me? You don't have to perform for God to love you. He loves you the way you are. He loves you the way you are. Don't let your if ruin your life, because it can. Don't let your if ruin your life. Well, what, if th- what if this? What if that? What if she never comes back? What if it doesn't work out? 
You know, ifs can control us and ruin our lives. And I'm just going to encourage you today, don't let the if ruin your life because it can. It's not worth it, is it? But to experience this love that God has for us won't completely take away those fears, but the belief that we have in God and the belief that some of you are exploring for the first time, the belief in God can crowd out all of these fears. They're still there, but the perfect love of God can push them out. Got a little emotional when all the lights went up on losing a loved one. February 6th, so just over a month ago, my dad passed away of cancer. And in November of 2016, he was diagnosed with cancer. And it started as uh, rectal cancer. And eventually they found that he had lung cancer, uh, non-small cell carcinoma. And um, he was very optimistic for a while. In the back of my mind, and I, I, don't, I don't know whether this was obviously right or wrong, but it was unhealthy for me to think this. I had a bad feeling all along. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you have bad feelings all along and you turn out to be wrong. And you're like, whew, I'm glad. Had a bad feeling all along. I think he did too. He didn't want to verbalize it. But within about 10 months, they, they told them, they said, uh, Eugene, my dad's name, um, we, we can't do anything else for you. This is going to take over. Non-small cell carcinoma spreads very rapidly. In fact, I learned that it's called um, oat cancer. You know, when, it, when it's looked in some of the scans, it looks like oats, like a little oatmeal. It spreads, it's small, spreads really fast. It spread and took over his body. And the last 60 days for him were very, very tough. And it was one of those moments, some of you have experienced this, and you know the pain of this, that you want to walk into the room to be with him, but then you don't because you see the pain, and you don't want that for him. And so, man, the last 45 days of his life, I just said, God, I know, I believe that you are in control, and I believe that you conquered death. Would you please let him, let him pass away? Let him be with you. I, I prayed that the last 45 days. But when he passed away, I wasn't ready for the fears that would come over me. And I remember, and we were, it was a, actually a very good time of closure. Um, someone asked, how was the funeral? I'm like, actually, it was good. It was a relief. Some of you know that, that, that experience. That the, the, the previous 60 days really stunk, right? But the, but the day of the funeral was actually, it was, it was, a, it was a good day. It was, it was a good day. But I wasn't ready for all the fears that would come on me. I, I never knew that I was fearful of having cancer. And then when that cancer... And some of you, oh, just to even see some of the lights that went up, some of you that have had cancer, you're fearful today of it returning. And I've experienced in the last 30 to 45 days the fear that I won't live very long. And some of it's reasonable. My, my grandfather, I never got to meet my grandfather. He died in 1975 before I was born of lung cancer. My dad just passed away from lung cancer, right? And I wake up with these thoughts that I don't have much longer to live. According to the statistics of my family, like I'm two-thirds of the way through, right? These thoughts are real. And I'm just like, you know what? But here's the deal. That's the bad news. I mean, like, hey, you know, that, that's terrible news. You have those thoughts and you have these, these thoughts. You're like, I shouldn't think this way. I should live and not focus on what might happen. This is terrible. I could let the if ruin my life. But when I change my belief, yes, I do believe that I'm going to die one day. It could be in six months and I hope not. I hope I, hope I get to be a, an old man and take care of Rachel at 90. Because I've always, often told her I'm going to be taking care of her, right? <laughs> oh, man, so I said, I'm going to take care of you when, when we're 90, right? Watch, she's going to have to take care of me. That's an inside joke. I'm like, why did you say that, Jason? Let me answer why I said that. It's because sometimes like, she's like, where's the peanut butter? I'm like, it's right there. 
You know, she's like, where is this? Where is that? Where is that? Like, I'll take care of you, honey. Don't worry. So she's kind of a family joke. That's why I said that. So I'm going to take care of you. I hope that I live to be 90 and have to take care of, of Rachel. She'll be willing me around, and I'll be telling her what her name is, right? Something like that. I, I hope. Thank you. That was the backstory. That's why I said that. She's like, are you asking for your wife to go downhill before you? No. Um, but there's a belief that I have that I'll never die. You know why the funeral was a good day? I believe that my dad, because of his faith in God, passed from this life to heaven. And that trumps any of this. I, I don't, yes, I do have something. I don't know if this is going to work. That trumps this, guys. It takes it away. Completely takes it away. The fact that there's a promise of life eternal. I love it. Even in the Greek, I don't know if some of you know the name Zoe, right? Zoe refers to life. And this Uranus Zoe, this Greek phrase, it means life like this. <laughs> Ongoing. Eternal life is where we get that. Uranus Zoe, Right? It's eternal life. I, don't, I, yeah, I struggle with this, like you do, but I have this belief that God conquered death. I hope that you'll consider even today that you cannot alleviate your fears. You cannot completely get rid of them. But by your belief, changing your belief in these areas, you can overcome. And you cannot let today be a, be a, be a bad day because of this fear that's conquering you. But you can say, you know what, God, I believe in and fill in the blank. And I believe that what you said, and that we can allow the belief that we have to crowd out the fears. Like we said just a few moments ago, there is no fear in love. And God loves you. And he doesn't want you to fear. There is no fear in love. And I believe today that though it's been difficult to see my dad, it was difficult to see my dad go downhill, difficult to know that it was coming, difficult to watch him not be able to care for himself, I have a belief that he's not dead, but that he's alive. And you too can have that same belief in a God who loves you. Let's pray.